I invite you to take the Bible that you've brought with you and join me at Exodus chapter 34. We're at Exodus 34, 8 today. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, we'll have the words up on the screen in just a moment. Um, also be presented to you um, who are watching with us online. Exodus 34, 8. We get to learn about worship today. Worship is one of my favorite things to learn about, and I'm so glad that I have the chance to learn along with you today. It's one of those subjects that, uh, and I think this is the reason why I enjoy it so much. Worship is one of those subjects that we just know we never get to the end of. There's always a frontier that we know we haven't reached when it comes to worship. I mean, let's face it, it is our eternal occupation. It is what we will do forever. You know, when you're watching the news and they're interviewing someone for the five o'clock news and they've witnessed something, you know, that happened. And so they're interviewing them and asking about it. And underneath their name, it will say something like passerby or bicyclist or shopper. Or something like that. Okay, forever it's going to be our name with the word worshiper underneath. That's who we are forever, is worshiper. So knowing that we won't reach the end of the subject this morning, we're just going to try to make a little more progress than we've made so far by learning from this one-person worship service that takes place at Exodus 34.8, where... After seeing God reveal himself to Moses, and we've been learning about all those things, all those attributes, all those descriptors of God. We've been going through them methodically for the last seven weeks or so, and we finally get to the end of God's self-revelation. And then in verse 8, worship takes place. And that's our special focus today. We're going to start reading in verse 5, and we'll read through verse 8. Okay, Exodus 34. Let's stand in honor of God, our Heavenly Father. On Father's Day, for the reading of the word, Exodus 34, 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, that's Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding In steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Father, show us what this means to the end that we too might be worshipers. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Please be seated. Well, the first thing that we notice, and this is a very simple observation, and there is an outline that's been provided for you in the bulletin if you want to follow along this way and get the point straight in your head. The first thing that we notice very simply is that worship is a response here. 
It is a response to God, the God who has revealed himself. We see that once God finished revealing his character, declaring his character and attributes to Moses, Moses responds by worshiping God. That's the response that he chose. That's the response that he made. Think about the other options that would have been on the table for Moses in terms of a response. They're the same options that are on the table for us. For what kind of response we make to the God revealed in the Bible. It's not automatic that when God reveals who he is that human beings respond in worship. It's not to be taken for granted that when God reveals himself to a person, the response is worship. God may be questioned. Moses could have done that. God may be argued with. God may be rejected. Moses could have done all those things. God may be dismissed or ignored or even mocked or vilified all those things happen we read about all those things in the scriptures humans can offer all of those responses to god and humans do offer all those responses to the god who reveals himself in the scriptures moses worshiped that's the response that he offered What response are you offering? Are you presently uh, rejecting? Are you presently arguing? Are you vilifying? Maybe you're just questioning. Let's put two subpoints under this first point of worship as a response, okay? Two subpoints underneath that. Here's the first one. Worship is the appropriate response for us. The appropriate response to perfection of love and goodness and justice and holiness, all these things that God has revealed, the appropriate response is worship. The reason that that's true is that everything else that exists besides this God, who is perfection of love and goodness and justice and holiness, everything else that exists besides this perfect God is necessarily lesser. And to worship something else or someone else besides God is to necessarily worship something lesser, an unworthy thing. A derivative thing. And a dependent thing. We miss the mark when we worship that which is not God. We wrongly give ourselves to something lower. When something greater exists. Now that's a theological reason for why worship is the appropriate response. That's 
That's a heady thing to think about. That's a theological reason for why the worship of God is appropriate. There's also a very practical reason why worship is the appropriate response. The practical reason is that we'll never be satisfied if we're worshiping something or someone other than God. We want to be satisfied. I want to be satisfied. You want to be satisfied. The very practical thing that I offer to you is that we will not be satisfied if we're worshiping something less than God. There will always be that greater thing, that greater being, the triune God, whom we were created to worship, and we won't have it. And there will be a massive hole in your life, and you will not be satisfied until you have become a worshiper of the God who reveals himself in Exodus 34. And when you have found him, you will have found the end, the source, the creator, the author, that that for which there is nothing greater. This is Jesus' message to the woman that he meets at the well in Samaria, John 4. This is his message to her. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give to them will never thirst again. Never thirst again. Satisfied. Worship is the appropriate response to God, theologically and practically. It's not only good objectively, it also feels good subjectively. Worship is the appropriate response for humans, okay? First subpoint. Now we're on to the second subpoint. Worship is the appropriate response for us. Worship is also the desired response of God. It's the desired response of God. It's what God wants from human beings. Worship is the appropriate response. Worship is the desired response. Let's keep thinking in John 4 for just a moment. All right, We've, we've gone there in our mind to that wonderful conversation between Jesus and the woman of Samaria. And I think my favorite idea out of all the monumental things that are presented to us in John 4... <laughs> incredible monumental things out of all of those wonderful things in John 4 all of the ideas presented to them to us there I think my favorite one the one that I have personal affection for is this idea that the father is seeking worshipers Jesus reveals that to her the father is seeking worshipers John 4 23 But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is seeking worshipers. Sometimes we tell our young people, especially this time of year when we're having graduations, And maybe you're getting done with high school. Maybe you're getting done with college. Got all these people asking you questions. All these people giving you advice. And sometimes well-meaning people. I've been one of those people. Well-meaning people will say to you privately or in public, I know that you're going to do great things for God. 
I know that you're going to do great things for God. Have you said that recently? Or have you been told that recently? Not condemning anyone that said that. I've said that so many times, I'm sure. And we know that when we say that to someone, I know that you're going to do great things for God. We know that when we say that to a young person, our intent is to encourage them and say, hey, I see, that, I see a lot of talents in your life. I see a lot of gifts in your life. I see God's hand on your life. We're, we're trying to encourage them, and that's a, it's a good, encouraging thing to say. But the subtle message... The subtle message underneath those words is that in order to be successful in life or in order to be a successful Christian, great things must be done for God. Well, how great do those things need to be? How visible do they need to be? What if they're done in secret? What if I I do something for God that no one sees? And what if I do it in my hometown? What if it's a a really mundane thing done in my hometown instead of just something done overseas in an exotic location where no one wants to go? What if I just do it at home and I never go anywhere? Is that a great thing? How many things do we need to do and how impressive do they have to be to count as great things For God. This is a really good time to stop and understand that God the Father is seeking worshipers. That's what he's seeking. That's the desire that he wants from you. Not great deeds. Not noteworthy accomplishments. Not visible activity. God is seeking people who will worship him. And let me tell you something. If you arrive at an actual true worship of God, that is a great thing. That is no small thing. That is a rare thing. That puts you in very exclusive company. To not just be a church attender or a committee member or a church employee. but to be a worshiper of God. That is our greatest and highest hope for you, students. That's my greatest and highest hope for myself. That's the greatest and highest hope of everyone in this room, that we could attain to the worship of God. That's what God said that he wants. That's what God wants. We're going to say more about what it looks like to be a worshiper in just a moment. Right now, we're just noticing that worship is our appropriate response and that it's God's desired response, okay? Now, still observing Exodus 34, 8, after noticing that Moses is making a response here, second thing that we notice is worship as instinctive. Worship as instinctive. Worship is, first of all, a response. Secondly, we see that worship is instinctive. What does that mean? It just means that no one had to tell Moses what to do in order to worship. He just knew. That's what we see here. God finishes his self-revelation. That ends at verse 7. And just like a reflex, Moses quickly 
bowed his head towards the earth. That's where we see the instinctiveness of worship. He just knew what to do. He didn't have to take a class. Have anyone tell him, this is how worship is done. You need to do it this way. He just he knew the right thing to do. He knew the right thing to do was to get low before the Lord. And so he did, right away. And we, we see this happen, of course, all the time in the scriptures when other people encounter God. We see Ezekiel write about this occurrence in the very first chapter. Ezekiel 1. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. We see it happen with the Apostle John writing his revelation. Last book of the Bible. When I saw him, that is the Lord Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet. Moses sees God and gets low. Ezekiel sees God and gets low. John sees God and gets low. There's no confusion in those moments about what it means to worship. They just knew instinctively what to do. We're just noticing how instinctive worship was for them. How reflexive it was for them in those moments. And then there's us. Then here's us, on the other hand, in this, in this room. And we may come here every week, and we may have been coming here for a long time or attending worship services for a long time all over the place. And still feel like we, we really don't know how to worship God or what it looks like. Or what it feels like. If I attend a service, either in person or online, does that count as worship? If I sing a song, is that worship? We may not really know. For us, worshiping God probably does not feel instinctive or reflexive. We may really struggle to know how to worship God and may just be confused and unsure. Okay. Now, let's step back for a moment and just think about this. Room full of human beings, okay? We know how to worship. We do know how to worship something, and it is instinctive. And it is reflexive, and we can do it with very little thought put into it. When we see something beautiful and exciting and compelling and something that captures our attention and is interesting to us, we know how to get into it. We know how to completely give ourselves over to something. Mind and body and money And time, we know how to do that with a job or a person or a team or a sport or a hobby or a cause. To think about it all the time, to let it control our life, to give our time and our money more and more to that thing to become obsessed. We know how to do that. We do it instinctively. It's so instinctive to us, we probably cannot explain how it happens. We just do it. 
We were made for worship, and we know how to do it, to fixate and give ourselves over, really get into something. We humans know how to worship. The question is, have those worshiping faculties been exercised on God? Well, we would like to think so. We certainly call ourselves worshipers of God. We say that it's true. But is it true? One thing that we'd have to say is that historically, it's rarely been true of God's people. It's rarely been true that God's people are actually worshiping him. When we read the Old and New Testaments, we see this great convicting charge brought against God's people. In both eras, in both Testaments, this great charge, you think you're worshiping, but you're not. We see it in Isaiah. We see it repeated in the Gospel of Mark as still being true. You worship me with your mouth and your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Let that word far have its full effect on you. Your hearts are far from me. The statement isn't, you know, your hearts are just a little bit off. You're pretty close, but you're just not quite there. Your hearts are far from me. Not close. And I think any reasonable congregation that knows the scriptures has to ask the question, could this be us? And personally, could this be me? History indicates it's much more likely to be true than not. It doesn't do us any good to continue in self-deception at this point and let ourselves off the hook and think this message is for someone else. No, this message is for the people of God who are trying to worship God. And the great question is, is it really happening in my life? How can I tell? I say that it's true, but how can a person tell if they're offering God worship? Well, let me just say that I think there's more than one way to answer that question. I think that there's a macro way to answer that question and a micro way to answer that question. The micro way would just involve looking at, did I worship God today? We could go home and ask ourselves that question. You know, did I worship today when I went to church? That would be a micro answer to that question. There's also a macro answer we're, going to talk, we're not going to talk about the micro answer today. We're going to talk about the macro answer. That is, 
Is there a way to tell I've been worshiping God over the course of my life? Has it been happening? Am I a worshiper of God? I want to talk about that macro answer today. And this is the last thing we'll do together on this subject of worship this morning, is simply look at the big picture of our lives and ask ourselves if we've been worshiping God. Okay? We've talked about worship as a response. We've talked about worship as instinctive. The last thing that we want to observe, and this is an observation that we make when we look at the Scriptures as a whole. So stepping out of Exodus 34 specifically, looking at the whole testimony of the Bible, we notice the idea of worship as becoming. Worship as becoming. As you consider your life as a whole, the question to ask yourself to determine if you have become a worshiper of this God who reveals himself in Exodus 34 is, am I becoming like him? Am I becoming like him? When you step back and look at your life, Your words, your actions, your thoughts, your relationships, your heart attitudes. The question to ask to determine if you've become a worshiper is, do I resemble him? Am I marked by these five things that we've been studying? Am I marked by... Mercy and grace and patience and faithfulness and justice. Do I resemble him? You know, the the parable of the prodigal son is wonderful and is dramatic and it's moving. Have you ever thought about the reason that the parable gets told? The problem that is the occasion for the telling of the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, is that God's people who claim to worship him don't look like him. They do not resemble The Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. They have their services, okay? They're having their religious services. They are giving their money. They are fasting. They are tithing. They do that with unbelievable exactitude, but none of that matters because they have not become like God. They do not share his priority of mercy. A better analogy for them would be a curmudgeonly older brother who is angry that a party is being thrown for his brother who is presumed dead but found to be alive. That's the better analogy for them. That's what they look like. 
Who could be curmudgeonly about a party to celebrate a brother who everyone thought was dead and then is found alive? Who could be that way? Especially if your father is this unbelievably gracious man and you've been with him all those years. Remember the words of the father to the older brother. All these years we've been together. How in the world could an older son respond like that with this kind of a father? How is that possible? That's the problem. That's the problem that occasions the telling of the parable of the prodigal son. Unbelievably, God's people don't look like him after all these years together. They're angry that sinners are being ministered to and have gathered around the Son of God. That makes them angry. They don't share the heart of their father. They've been doing so-called worship all those years, but their hearts are far from God. God, save us from a worship that seeks to honor you without becoming like you. And so I have to ask you, Christian, Christian who claims to be worshiping God, is there a softness to your heart that approximates the mercies of the Father. Is there a gentleness to your tone that mirrors the Son who called himself gentle? Is there a graciousness in your relationships that pleases the Holy Spirit? And is there a kindness in your eyes that looks at people who are far from God and desires their good more than their judgment? If there's not, it's very likely that it is not they who are far from God. That is you. in your heart that is far from God. What you have called worship for all these years has been something else. Worship always seeks to become. Worship seeks to become like the one who is being worshipped. If you have not been worshipping, you can begin today. It's never too late. By the power of the Holy Spirit, this can be a day of repentance and change. 
you can change and become a worshiper. We may walk around with an agenda for other people. Today is the day to take up an agenda for yourself. And me for myself. And recognize that we ourselves may be far from God while claiming to be worshipers. Just ask yourself, am I becoming more and more like him? Or am I becoming angry and withdrawn like the older brother? And if our aim is worship, we aim to become like the God who reveals himself in Exodus 34. We have invested time in studying who God is, lots of time. Now let's worship him. And let's worship him by becoming like him. Amen. Father, we do these things so imperfectly. Each one of us here represents just the craziest mix of good intentions and failures and part-time successes. Two steps forward, one step back. One step forward, two steps back. We lean upon the Holy Spirit and we lean upon your grace with no thought that we have any hope of progress in these things except that the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And so week by week, including today, we just show up, we submit ourselves to the word, we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and just say, Father, have mercy on us. I can't change myself. Please change me. Conform me to the image of your wonderful Son in whose name we pray. Amen.